And we're going to be getting into uh, our second part of this new series in Philippians. Anybody remember what book we in? That's right. I've titled this one, A Partnership of Love. And as we see uh, Paul and what he says to the church here, you'll, we'll begin to understand why, why, we, why we're calling it that. But we're going to be looking at verses 3 through 11 of the first chapter. Uh, we're going to get into that. But last week, and uh, if you noticed here, we've got a Jenga game, and we'll explain that to you a little later. Don't, don't pay attention to that yet. Um, last week, we talked about the birth of the church. Uh, Pastor Ben spent most of his time in Acts 16, uh, showing, how, showing how the church was started. Uh, of course, now we move into verse 3, which kind of begins Paul's um, intro to talking to the church at Philippi. Um, so, like, if we could pretend today, it would be like a message to the church of living word at Shriver, right? And I thought we would probably be called Shriverians. <laughs> we would be the Shriverian church, right? I don't know. Spellcheck didn't like it. I know that much. But, you know, Paul knew the importance of the, of the local church, and not only did he know the importance of the local church, he knew the, that it was vital in the advancement of the gospel. Right, so he's, he's writing back to the church. So the church was birthed somewhere on A.D. 4950 um, on, on his second missionary journey. And we see he's writing this letter to him in A.D. 61. So somewhere between 10 and 12 years have passed in total time. So it's, it's a pretty big gap, right? And he's, and he's still encouraged and he's excited about the church. And he's excited what's going on there. Um, and then also during his last missionary journey, we know he went there, he stopped in two more times. So he's, if you consider that in that day, what it meant to visit places was quite different than what we have here today, right? Um, but even still, he was able to, to visit multiple times, check on them. But here he is in Rome, in prison, and he's writing them this letter. And as you're going to see today, this is, you know, without being um, too unmanly, it's a bit of a love letter to the church, um, and he's just, his compassion and his love for him and what's going on, and it's just, it's exciting to see that. So we're going we're gonna to go ahead and get into that, but before we do so, let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for this morning, and we thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to study your word. God, it is your word that changes our hearts and our lives, God, it is your word, Father, that makes us more like you. And God, I pray, Father, as we look at this letter that Paul wrote to the church of Philippi, yeah, that it would be real in our lives today. That as believers in Jesus Christ, that we would see the importance and the word that you have for us. That we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're going to get started here in verse 3. And I want to read just a, a short section here, because it is short. But it says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. I see two things there. First of all, he thanks God, right? And I think that's not just something to be looked at lightly, is Paul's excited about the church, and he's thankful for them, but he's thankful for them through God. His thankfulness goes to God. And then also he says, in all, so in all my remembrance, which also is speaking to all of them as well. So he's not singled out certain people there that he likes. He's saying that it's for all of the church, because he knows that the church has been called by God. It's the ecclesia, it's the chosen ones of Christ, and because of who they are in Christ, they're a big deal to Paul. And it's the same thing for us here today. Every one of you here today that is named the name of Jesus Christ and your Lord and Savior matters. 
It's a big deal. The Lord has done an amazing work, and we get to walk in this together. So he thanks God for him. And we're going to see that phrase, all of you, in, let's see, verse 3, verse 4, verse 7, and verse 8. So this whole section here, you're going to see that he keeps bringing it back to this idea of all of them and all. Because he wants them to understand that this is for all of you. This is, this is a letter for you as a church. But I was thinking about that when you, start, when you think about being thankful and being thankful to God for someone else. You know, do more times are we more thankful for things or for people? Some of you might be able to say people. Some of you might say, hmm, probably things. But I love what Paul shows us here, that he's thankful for his people, and he's thankful to God for the people at the church at Philippi. I remember when our kids were uh, much younger, and we would get ready for bed and do prayer time. It's morphed quite a bit over the years as they've grown. But I can remember um, Levi, I think it was particularly, he would sit there and he said, I thank you for mommy, I thank you for daddy, I thank you for brother, I thank you for mommy, I thank you for daddy, I thank you for brother, I thank you for mommy, I thank you for... You get it, right? But he was thankful, right? He was excited. It was the only thing he knew how to pray, but he knew it for a prayer of thanks, and it was so cute. But I can remember us later on in life having to correct because it seemed like that's, that's all they did. I don't know if that was the right thing or not, but, you know, they were thankful nonetheless. But the same thing here is, is, is Paul. He's just, just sincere thanks for the church and just gratitude for the believers. Do you think it meant that there weren't any problems in the church of Philippi? Think there was any issues there? There clearly isn't. We're going to get to that in chapter 4. You can read ahead if you like. Um, but, the, you know, but that's not what Paul's coming at first. He's coming at it first from a, a, just an expression of love and thankfulness for him, despite anything that was going on. You know, we've got to be careful to not allow conflict to get in the way of gratitude. Gratitude first. Conflict you walk in, but gratitude comes first, because without the gratitude, without him approaching the church in this way, he, he stands to stifle growth in the believers. And he's trying to get them to show them to come together, to pull together in this, in this partnership. Because that's our title, right? Partnership in the gospel. But as we get into it a little further, I've got five points that I want to show you. Five points that I believe that Paul was talking to the church there. And it brings us to our first point, that real joy is found in Christ alone. Real joy is found in Christ alone. And we're going to read through verse 4. Starting in 3, I thank my God once again in all of my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Making his prayer with joy. We see this, this idea of joy or rejoicing actually throughout the book, throughout um, Philippians. It's about 13 different times that that phrase is going to show up. Paul's really doing something intentional there on this idea of joy and that it works hand-in-hand hand with the church and this, and this encouragement that he's given them. We also see the word joy itself five times. So we know that it's, we know that it's something important. It's something that he holds dear to him. But let's think about, think about joy a little bit more. Think about it in our lives right now. You got joy soap. Any joy soap lovers in the house? Right? That's an old one. It's even hard to find that now. Um, Mellow Joy Coffee. Anybody from the Lafayette area? Heard about that? Right? I think their color is the coolest. It's yellow, right? Um, what about the Pixar movie with Joy, the little girl that's happy? She's like the emotion of fun. Um, and I believe there's even a perfume out there with the name Joy on it. I won't attempt to say the name uh, because it's a girl one. Guys can't wear Joy perfume. That's, uh, in my studies I found through the Old Testament, 
took you all a little while. So joy is everywhere, right? But, but then we begin to think about it. Well, what, are we, what do you think about when you say the word joy? You, we think of situations. We think of circumstances. We think of things that make us joyful. But do you think Paul's specifically speaking to situations that cause joy? Probably not, right? He's talking about a joy that comes outside of what's going on around us. I was, I was reminded of this the other day. It's, it's been a long time since I've been to the a doctor, especially with my kids. But I was reading this magazine, and it was talking about those uh, playrooms that they do in doctor's offices for kids. Have you ever seen those? Where they got a couple of toys? Of course, my first thought is, oh, man, I would not want my kid going over there, right? Even though they're sick. Now, I know there's the clean room, and then there's the, there's the, healthy, there's the, the sick room. But why do you think those toys are put in there? Right, because those kids feel bad. Right, there's they're not happy, so they get them in there, and you, it kind of gets their mind off of what's going on. And chances are, and hopefully, what they're hoping for is there's a little bit of joy that comes out of them for them. Right, that despite the bad situation that they're in, they have some joy because of because they get to play with a toy before they go in there and get a shot. Right? How many of you like shots? Right? I don't like shots. I try to stay away from them. But why does Paul sitting here in a Roman jail speaking of joy? Is it because his situation is one of joy? No, I think it's, it's pretty obvious, right? Paul has what he has there because of who Christ is in his life. True and lasting joy doesn't come from a situation or a trouble-free life. Real joy comes from Christ alone. And this is what he's showing the church here. Look at, look at what Jesus told us in got a couple of verses here, John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. John 16, 24, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you receive that your joy may be full. 1 John 1, 4, and we are writing these things, to, things so that our joy may be complete. And then James in 12, 1, 2, and 3, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that by the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So we see that joy doesn't come just because of our situations and our circumstances. Joy comes because of who Christ is in our heart, who Christ is in our life. And even though things going on around us may not be good and it may not provoke this emotion of joy, we have a joy because it's a picture of the hope that we have for a future in Christ Jesus, right? But there's some things that hinder that, and I think Paul would, be, would, would know this. And there's one that some of them are external. They're things that, that steal our joy, right? Struggles in your marriage, struggle in your finances, struggles with your children, the idea that you might potentially lose your job, struggles in all kinds of different areas, and those have a way of impacting us from the outside in, right? Anybody experience those things? I'm sure some of you are here today, and you've got an an immense pressure on you for things going on around you. And I just want to tell you that the Lord is with you in that, that that joy is not just because everything going on around you is okay, but it's because you have Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. And if you're here today and he's not your Savior, you won't be able to experience that hope that comes despite that. And I would encourage you to make a decision for Christ as your Lord and Savior today before you leave this building because that's where real joy comes from. Look at Psalms 35. For his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning right? And, that does, and what that means is, is no matter what's going on around you, 
Joy is there, and joy is coming. And it's not just superficial, and it's not just putting on the right attitude or just putting on the right face. It's because the Lord has done a true work in your heart. It gives us a hope for the future. But I think there's also internal things that impact our joy. I think when we have the tendency to look um, for perfection in all situations, when we tend to look at situations around us and it's not going the way you want it to go or it's not going the way you believe it to be, guess what happens? We get caught up in that. We get caught up in that. All of a sudden, we lose focus and we lose sight of who Christ is and we lose sight of the joy that comes in Him before the future that we have. So all those things are real and all those things are going to happen. And for the rest of your lives as a believer, you're going to walk in those. But know that joy comes because of who Christ is. He's found in Christ alone. I was reminded of Philippians 3.8 as I was studying this. And it says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may maintain may gain Christ. When Paul's talking about it, he had just previously mentioned, you know, some accolades that he had, that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was the best Pharisee and all these things. And he puts all that aside, all of his selfishness, and he calls it rubbish. And when you look at that word, that word rubbish speaks to dung, right? It's, a, it, it's not just something, something simple. It's a big deal. And he said, it's worth nothing. Everything that I thought was right, everything that I thought my way was the right way, I counted for nothing for what Christ has done for me. Here's a little bit of encouragement for you. A gloomy Christian is a contradiction in terms, says William Barclay. That is, that is supposed to really be encouragement, even though even it's a, a gloomy statement. right? But the truth is, is, we walk in this. It's a choice that we make because of the work that Christ has done in us. Have any of you ever seen somebody with a gloomy face? Anybody got one today? You know, down the bay, we call that a grimace. And if you're lucky, we might even say you got a boudet face on, right? Or a, or a babin. There's all kinds of words for it. And if you talk to me after, I could give you the proper spelling for all of that. I called my mom. I said, Mom, I said, I know we used to say this a lot. I said, I think I know what it means. I said, but I want to verify. Because I found out some of those words that my parents and my grandparents taught me probably aren't ones I should be repeating. You know, for some reason, we think it's okay when it's in a different language, I guess. But I'm here to tell you it's not. So don't be walking around with that grimace on. You got to roll the R, too. That grimace. Real joy is experienced when we are in God's will. Right? Think about the word joy. It's three letters, J-O-Y. And think about this. Jesus, others, and then yourself. That's the right alignment. That's how we experience real joy in our walk, right? You know, I used to wear a bracelet, and it popped. Uh, so it's not like I have some kind of spiritual conviction about it. But it said, I am second. You ever heard of the I am second movement? But I was thinking, best case scenario, you're third. Best case scenario, you're third. And in my family, I come in at number eight. <laughs> and I'm reminded of it every day. So I'm going to start a movement called I Am At Least Three. Now, I think years back, I think Jesse and Josh did a, a I Am Third video. It was pretty funny. But it's cheesy. I get it. But when we get the proper alignment of who we are in Christ, that it's Jesus first, his name is exalted, his name is lifted high, 
we give credence and love and a partnership to others, and then we go ahead and worry about ourselves, right? It helps us to understand, and that's where real joy comes from. So it brings us to our second point, that partnerships are forged in the gospel. Verse 5, the very crux of our uh, series here, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He talked about praying for him, and then he says that because of your partnership, and his partnership is what? In the gospel, and that's, and that's important that we see that. Partnership comes from a Greek, Greek word called koinonia, which means a uh, communion, it means community, association, fellowship. A partnership was a, was a bringing together of everyone, and, for the, and it was for the church, and, there was, and to, in order to be a partner, it takes more than one person, right? Anybody familiar with that? I know, that's a simple one, right? But I got another one for you. You know, a partner is important, but once again, we call that a padna, Nandabaya. And you all got some padnas here? And I'm not talking about the restaurant in Homa, although that's a good restaurant. They got smothered rabbit on Wednesdays. We call that a lapin. That rabbit's a lapin. That's not a bad word either. That's a real word. You can check me. But we padnas in the gospel here at Living Word Church, right? Lean next to the person and say, you my padna. All right. Y'all got it. Figure it out. So our partnerships are forged in the gospel. The gospel is where that happens. The gospel is why it matters, and it changes our hearts. You know, I was thinking about chain, linked chain, right? Chain is put together pretty unique. It's, they got a coil stock of wire. It's, it's cut into lengths. This amazing little machine bends all the links, and they're all put together. You ever wonder how they get put together, where they start off as straight pieces, um, they put them all together, and then they pass them through this forging process, which, which makes the links come together. They, put, they apply some heat to it. Um, they go ahead and stretch it and pull it. They bring it through a water bath. There's all kinds of cool processes for chain. But the picture is, is that it's a, it's a very weak thing until, that, until those links are joined together. And there's a process of forging that happens in there. And I believe the same thing happens for us as partners. You know, forging is the hammering and the pressing of things, sometimes with heat, sometimes without heat, depending on the process. But the same thing happens for us in the church. And Paul knows this. As he's walking with them, he sees the situations they're dealing with. He sees the things, the everyday struggles, the things that, that come to steal your joy. They press on us, and, and, and it's painful, and it hurts, and things are beaten on us. And we say, man, this is uncomfortable But guess what? When it's in Christ, when we come out on the other side, we're stronger. We've been forged by the gospel. The partnerships that we have with one another can maintain struggle. It can maintain conflict because we're walking side by side knowing that the glory of Christ is what we're working for. And at the end of the day, at the end of our lives, that Jesus Christ is going to be glorified and we're going to walk with him in all eternity. So he's encouraging them in this to, to walk in this over and over again. I was thinking about when I was doing this, preparing, I was, Rachel and I were talking. We thought about the game Jenga. Anybody ever played Jenga? Anybody have no idea what Jenga is? Right? So here we have the remnants of a Jenga game. Now, I found out when I started to ask questions at my house about our Jenga games, that we've got four of them. Why does anybody have four Jenga games? It makes no sense. But we've got four of them. And so, you know, they, it takes 54 pieces to make it, because I had to count through the piles of Jenga games. So we have four. But I was thinking about it. You know, obviously the object of this game, when you're playing it with your friends, 
is to, and I don't have it stacked all the way up because I wasn't real sure if it fell, what kind of spiritual story I would have for y'all. <laughs> so I really don't want it to fall. Y'all pray for me. Um, but the game jing is a lot like our partnerships in the church. It's a lot like our, our lives as believers because, you know, as you're playing this game and as you pull out a piece, see that? Almost knocked another one off. These pieces all work together, obviously, to make a strong little tower here. Um, and, of course, the goal is, I understand, to knock it over. But our partnerships are so much like this because in the gospel, because if, if all these little pieces get eroded out and all these different things happen and impact us, if I keep doing that, what's going to happen here? Eventually, this thing's going to fall. So I think sometimes we think that I'm just one piece or that person's just one person or that situation's just one situation. But I want to tell you, that one piece matters. This one piece is a big deal because this one piece is somebody's life. This one piece is another picture of God's creation and the image in which he made us in. It's a big deal. And the only way we're going to be in partnership is when this piece is inserted into this body. And we see that over and over again. Scripture tells us all the time about the body and the importance of the body. Our partnerships matter. It's a big deal. Because when all these pieces work together, we can build this thing up higher and higher, right? We can go as high as we probably to this table flips on us. And growth happens. Because when we have stability, when the body's doing well, and the Lord is saving people, and he's sending them to us, what happens? The church has grown. The gospel is advanced. More and more people are reached for the Lord because our partnership with one another are strong. They're working hand in hand. There's not this piece saying, I don't want this piece there. All these things are happening because the gospel is the central focus of what's going on. Have you ever noticed that there's things that hinder partnerships? Anybody ever experienced that? Business partnership, your wife, your husband, your kids, friends. There's a handful of them, and I, and I think there's a couple of things that happen. Actually, I think there's four things that happen with that. One, I think sometimes we don't see the value in the believer that's next to us or in the situations that's next to us. And what I mean by we see them there, but I think we're, we get so focused on certain things that we lose focus that they're God's creation. And that he formed them for a very special and a very specific thing that matters. I think sometimes we get this view that it's just me and Jesus. Right? I don't need anything else. It's just me and the Lord. We're going to walk through this. Sometimes it's just that we think our, our way is the right way, regardless. We're not interested in what other people have to say. We're not interested in the things that they have. We're not interested in any of those things. And I think sometimes we're just, we're just too private. We've got too many boundaries set up. And I'm not saying that any of those things aren't good and okay in certain situations. But if it comes at the cost of fellowship with the people the Lord has put in your life, I would pray that we would look at that differently that we would see that the people that walk with us according to Christ each and every day, every Sunday that we gather here, every time we gather for something, that those people matter. They're a big deal. And Paul's seeing this in his church, and he's seen them walk it out for 10, 11, 12 years. He loves what he's seeing. So it brings us to our third point, that we must encourage one another in the assurance of our salvation. How many of you want encouragement about your salvation? Right, well, Paul gives us one of the greatest verses here in verse 6. It says, I am sure of this, 
that he who began a good work will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Right? And that, that's, that's good news, church. You can clap about that. That's exciting. Paul uses the word there. That's, it's, it's real important. It says began. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work. We see that word used twice in Scripture. We see it once here. We see it also in Galatians 3.3. 3. In both times, it's speaking to the, the beginning work of Jesus Christ in our lives at the moment of salvation. So we know that that's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying that the salvation work that has taken place in your life, it's a big deal. Look what it said in Galatians 3.3. 3. It starts off, if you remember this section, he says, O foolish Galatians. That's in verse 1, and it goes down to verse 3. Are you so foolish, having begun, and that begun there is the salvation by the Spirit, that are you now being perfected by the flesh? He asked him the question. You know that the Lord has done this work in your life. You know that he's saved you. He set you apart. He's made you whole. But now you're going to try to figure it out in your own flesh? But the picture there is that our salvation is secure, and he's going to bring it under completion. He uses that word there, will bring it to completion. When somebody says that they will do something, what does that mean? It means they will do it. Yeah, that's not you're right. We hope they will do it. But the intention is, is that they're going to do it. When we use that kind of language, the idea, but when Jesus uses that language, it's a big, it, 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 will, it sticks. It is the real thing. He will bring it to completion. That completion speaks of, of perfection because when we ultimately come to know Christ in eternity, we're perfected. And that's the completion that he's talking about. He's going to walk with us, and he's going to complete us in that. You know, many times as I grew up thinking about my, thinking about my salvation, I, I would often question um, whether I was, and, I would, and it would mostly hinge upon whatever that day possibly I didn't do right or, or that week or that month. And obviously that's a really important thing. But church, we've got to understand that we have assurance in our salvation in Christ Jesus. I mean, think about this. You couldn't earn it. How are you going to lose it? You didn't have the ability to earn it. So why all of a sudden do we, do we begin to walk with Christ and we think we're going to lose it? Right? Now, I'm not talking about using it as an excuse to do things. John talks about that in 1 John, that we would have a practice of righteousness versus a practice of sinning because as a believer in Jesus Christ, we practice righteousness. We, we get better and better at it. We become shaped more like him. But as partners in the gospel, we've got to encourage each other in this, that the Lord has done an amazing work. It's not something to just take lightly or something that's simple. He's done an amazing thing for us. Going back to my Jenga model here, you know, that work that he's done in us, there's a sanctification that takes place in us and changes over and over again. And I was thinking, you know, we were talking about Jenga, and it's about the church, but it kind of applies to our own lives, too. And I was like, it's like Jingaception. It's like Jingaception. Anybody know what Inception is? Anybody ever seen that movie, Inception? Right? So there's like a layering effect. It's like, it's like sanctification inside of sanctification. You know, our bodies are being sanctified with Christ. And then, so really, so really you just wanted these little pieces. And inside of this piece, there's a whole other sanctification process of little bitty blocks pushing against each other trying to get out. Can you see it? If you zoom the camera in, you can see it a little easier. Right? So each one of us are walking through this process of sanctification. So this little, the, the struggles that you and I have in this area ends up being the struggles that the church has overall. But as we, as we allow the Lord to work in our hearts and in our little Jenga pieces, 
we become more like him, and then eventually we fit right in there, and then we don't have to get, we're not trying to push and shove and knock the other guy out. And the Lord sends more people. The Lord saves more people. His name is lifted high and is exalted. It brings stability in our lives. It brings us to our last, the next part that he's talking about, that God's people are precious. And let's look what he says in verse 7 and 8. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers, and that word partakers there is also the same as partners, with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So we see a shift in the text here. He was thankful for them. He talked about joy. He talked about their salvation. But now he kind of to dial in a little bit more. He gives us some more details here. And he says, it's right for me to feel this way. Right? So when you see that it's right for me to feel this way, there you believe that there's going to be a reason of why he feels that this is right. One, he holds them in his heart. You know, that's a term of endearment, right? When we say we hold someone in our heart, we love them in our heart of hearts, as I've heard it said before. It, we're partakers, we're partners in the gospel. We see that in the next section. And then he's there for them in their physical times of need. So one, we know that Paul was speaking specifically about his imprisonment. Um, in chapter 2, we see that they sent Epaphroditus to him to support him and to help him in church and to help him in, well, excuse me, while he was in, in, in chains and support him along the way. But then he brings up another part, the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. And, he's, and his point is, is this is, what's, this is what matters, church, that you are there not only in my physical needs, but most importantly in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. We talk about defense. There's a, that's a, um, it's, it's, it's a, it's an apology. It's a way of explaining, saying why we believe what we believe. But then when we look to the confirmation, it's one that produces confidence in our lives. It shows us who we are. But he uses a strong word there. He says, for the affection of Jesus Christ. You ever use the word affection, right? Pretty common word. But what's interesting here, it's in the Greek, it's the strongest word that can express compassionate, compassionate love. But guess what the word affection means in the Greek? It's not quite so affectionate. It means bowels or intestines. It's true. But there's a reason why it means that. Because in that day, they believed that, the, that your, your, your internal organs were the deepest form by which emotion could come. Right? It wasn't a surface level. They, so when they say that it was an affection of that level, it was an affection that came from deep within, not just something that was superficial or on the top, but something that they really, really, really meant. And that's what Paul's telling them here, an affection that I have for you in Jesus Christ. And we know now on this side of the cross that we love one another with the way in which Jesus loves. Right? Remember the original commandment that we would love the Lord our God with all our heart, our mind, and soul. But when Jesus came, he added to that. He said that we would love as he loved. That we would love in the way in which that he loved us. And that's, the, and that's the picture that we see here. It's this deep affection because of who Jesus Christ is in the church. I was reminded of Philippians 4, 5. That let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Church, people matter. Your brothers and sisters walking alongside of you matter. They're a big deal. The Lord has done an amazing work and have brought them alongside of you. You're, you know, when, we, when it says there that our reasonableness, what it's speaking of too, that there's just a contentment and a generosity towards others despite what's going on around us. 
despite the situation, despite whether you feel like it, despite whether it's going the way you would hope it to, but that we would have a reasonableness as believers, that we would, that we would struggle and toil with one another for the defense of the gospel. That's what he's telling us here. You know, just be nice. Just be nice. Right? When you're driving, somebody cuts you off. Raise a hallelujah. Raise a hallelujah. Right? When you're at the drive-thru and that box doesn't listen to you. Right? When you have to tell it over and over again what you want on your sandwich. Just order it plain or however it comes. Let the worry about the extra parts after. Just be nice. People matter. Just yesterday we had our um, a washer and dryer delivered to our house. We've been out, we've been out with a washer and dryer for two weeks. Um, yes, you continue to pray for us. <laughs> I haven't found the door yet, the utility room. But this young man comes in and he was... Um, he was, you know, I got to talking to him, I was helping him bring it in, and he was just a, uh, he was just, he was just a, a fun guy. I mean, it was just, he made it so easy. And of course, one of the kids came outside and said, can we, he brought him a bottle of water, and of course, you know, he was just like, oh, thank you so much. And so we're chit-chatting, and then at the time, we're preparing food, because we had our own Elevate student conference going on at my house uh, with my children and some babies. Pastor Ben brought me his youngest son to watch, really, I'll pray for us. He's so cute when he sleeps. That's what I always say. Those kids are so cute when they sleep. But as he was sitting there, we unload, we get everything checked out, make sure there's no dents, all that good stuff. And, and Rachel, Rachel offers him lunch. You know, so I'm thinking, I don't that's probably like some kind of policy he's breaking if he like eats lunch with us. But I'm like, you know, I mean, if he wants to, good for him. And if you work at Lowe's and you're a manager and you know this kid, please have mercy on him. Um, he, was, he, did, he, he represented your company very well. Um, but what a blessing he was. So he sits down and he has baked fish with us and red beans and some, and some bread. And we sit in there and he's at my table and <laughs> we're, having, we're having lunch with uh, this man. And he's, I said, man, I said, where do you? And I'm thinking all along, I was like, man, I, I got to get his name. I need to put my name on a go tell ball tomorrow <laughs> when I get to church. And uh, I said, man, where do you go to church? And I didn't know if he went to church or not, but I just figured that's the easiest way in. And he goes, and he tells me a church he goes to in Thibodeau, and then he starts telling me about the Lord's faithfulness in his life and how he was a refugee from Katrina, and now he's moved to Homa, and he's just, it was just, a, it was just an amazing time. But you know, you know, what we could have done is just said, dude, just drop off our stuff and get out the house, right? Because I've done that before. Um, and, you know, it's, there's always frustration with those kinds of things, but it was a, it was a real joy. It was even extra that the man was a believer in Jesus Christ. But church, just, just be nice. Just give somebody a piece of your big fish. Right? Tell them that you love them. Offer to pray with them. Have those opportunities. So many times we think, oh, I just want to tell somebody about Jesus. What about the person that's right there? What about your fellow believer that's next to you? Takes us to our last point. That our love must grow for one another in Christ. And as he begins to close out this letter here to him in verse 9 through 11, he said, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, 
filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Now we see back in verse 4 when he mentioned that word prayer. But now we get to see the details of that prayer, right? Just the amazing love that he has for the church at Philippi. And he says there that our love may abound for one another. And as our love abounds for one another, we grow. We get stronger. We begin to be able to walk with each other in their problems, the things that are going on. And the Lord is glorified because in it, we're exalting his name. That our love would abound for one another. But he says that it would abound in a certain way, in knowledge and discernment. And that knowledge is that of only of that of the Word of God. That the truth that we have, church, is the very breathed out Word of God here in front of us. That's where change comes from. That's where lives are transformed. That's where things happen for us. And then the discernment talks about the application of that truth that we have. So he's saying in all knowledge, in all discernment, walk this out. As you learn my truths, put them into practice, put them into place. But the next part there is that our love would abound for Christ. One another, but also for Christ as we become more like him. Because it says that we would approve what is excellent. That we would be able to distinguish the difference between what is of God and what is not. That we would see what's pure, what's genuine, which is at the heart of Christ. That we would be blameless in our relationships. That in this partnership that we have with one another, my prayer for myself And for you is that we would be able to walk with one another and be blameless before each other because we know that we're striving side by side for the gospel. As I was preparing this message all week, the Lord was just hammering on me and forging my heart, saying, Matt, you need to care more about the people in your life. You need to care about things that you don't think you even need to care about. Every person that you come in contact with has a story They're a believer in Christ Jesus. The Lord has done an amazing work. Do you know about it? Have you taken the opportunity to listen to what the Lord has done? Have you taken the opportunity to listen to what the Lord is doing, what they believe the Lord wants to do for them? And I found myself time and time again just under the conviction of the Lord. Matt, you need to love well. You need to love more. You need to show more. And you say, well, I've done enough. I've done this. That doesn't matter. Did Jesus stop at some point for us? Was there a point when he felt like he gave enough? Of course not. We love more, that our love would abound more and more. And when you mess up, church, it's okay. Pick yourself back up in Christ. Just reach out to that brother and sister in Christ. Apologize for your mistake. It's okay. You're going to do it again. As long as you live, you're going to make those mistakes. But the partnership that we have with one another is more important than your pride. It's more important than whether or not you thought you were right or whether you, because right just doesn't matter. Right in that situation does not advance the gospel. It only hinders the gospel. Walk with Christ in that. And that we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. And that picture there is that as Christians, we're to bear fruit. Pastor Ben mentioned that a few weeks back, that a fruitless Christian is a contradiction. We bear fruit. We walk in that. The Lord changes us. He conforms us, makes us more like Him. If I could sum it up like this, I would say that we need to live wisely, being informed by the Word, and we need to live with a deep love for God and others. That's what it comes down to. 
because all of this is possible in that last part there that comes through Jesus Christ. In and of ourselves, none of that's possible. In and of all that, we make mistakes. But Paul was quick to say there that all of this is possible through Jesus Christ. And it's no different for us here today that it's through Jesus Christ God will be glorified. God should be glorified in our lives. The last part of 11 there says, to the, and he ends it with, to the glory and the praise of God. He started off that prayer that I thank God for you and all of my remembrance. And he ends it with, to the glory and to the praise of God. That's what he has for us, church. That's the partnership that he has for you and I, that we would walk in that, and we would walk in the purity of that, and that we would make mistakes, and that we would go to him, that we would do things well, and we would go to him no matter what. I was reading a story that reminded me of this. It was about Lawrence of Arabia. And it was, that's, that's an old movie, and that doesn't really matter for the part of the story. It was what happened during it. It was a big deal. He had, take, he had taken some of the uh, poor Bedouins from uh, the deserts of North Africa on a trip, and he brought them uh, to, to France. And he brought them to a fancy hotel there for whatever was going on exactly, and he brings them in there, and, you know, it's nice fixtures and nice furniture, nice faucets, everything is super fancy. And of course, it's nothing they've ever seen. You know, there's water, you know, from the desert. Water is obviously something that's not, um, they see very often either. So they go through their trip. They spend some time there. And when he leaves, he's helping them pack up. And he's noticing that in their bags, they had taken the faucets off of the sinks and stuffed them in their bags. And as he began to ask around and think about it and said, what are y'all doing with the faucets? And they would say, well, out of the faucets comes the water pure, clean water. So, of course, he has to explain to him, obviously, that take that faucet out of there. There's no more water coming out of it. But the same thing's for us. When we disconnect from the source, which is Christ Jesus, we're unable to do any of this. That water that they thought they were going to get, obviously, would, they would, have, would have not happened. And it's the same thing for us here today, that if we want to walk in the purity of our partnerships, if we want to experience real joy that comes from Christ alone, partnerships that are forged in the gospel, an assurance of our salvation, a continual picture that God's people are precious, and that each and every day we grow more and more like Christ, loving more and more, it's only going to happen, church, if we're connected to the source. And that source is Christ Jesus. So as we leave here today, as we, as we walk into our lives, I pray that we would be impacted by the word because it is the word that changes us. It is the word that makes us whole. After service, myself and a couple of prayer members will be in the uh, prayer room on the side. If you'd like to, if you'd like prayer for anything that's going on, if the Lord has done a work in your life, if you want to name Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and we want to be there with you, we want to meet you. But my encouragement to you, church, is that we walk and that we see that the person that you're sitting next to right now, that believer is linked on with you side by side for the gospel, all heading in the same direction for eternal glory in Christ Jesus. God, we just thank you for this day. We thank you, God, for your people. We thank you that you've saved us and you've made us whole. God, we love you. God, you are, God, you are so good. And I pray, Father, that we would not disconnect, God, from you as a source. God, that in everything we do, God, we would bring glory to your name. That we love you. God, we praise you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. 
All right, you're dismissed.